the fans who want to keep pounding. The ones who want an inside look at the vault. This is this 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 is views from Midstream. Now here's your host Lonzo Wrightsell and Rob Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome in to yet another remarkable edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast, your only necessary Carolina's, uh, Carolina Panthers podcast. Way to start that one off with a bang, Rob. Welcome in. It's great to have you, ladies and gentlemen. I am your ever-so-humble host, Rob Brown. The pleasure is ours. I say ours because, as always, joining me and along for the ride today is my executive producer and co-host, the man that is responsible for our sound being as glorious as it is when it hits your ear holes, Mr. Lonzo Reitzel is along for the ride. And, you know, the, the midweek edition of the pod in season is always going to be kind of interesting because the midweek edition of the pod is obviously the pod where we get a lot of opinions out there that aren't necessarily individually game-based, right? Like in the last pod, we broke down the very heartbreaking L to the Cleveland Browns. And we told you what we think went right and wrong in that game. This pod, we're going to talk more general overall opinions about the team. We're also going to get into any news and notes that might break between the end of the previous weekend's game. And when we record this pod Tuesday evenings, And obviously it drops on Wednesday mornings, which is when you're listening to this right now, obviously. You get it. You get it. And then on Friday, we obviously talk about the next game upcoming. This time a roadie up to the Meadowlands to take on the New York football Giants. And we'll get into that later on in the week. Before we go any further, do want to remind you that you can join us on social media and find us on Twitter at the Rob Brown Show, at the Rob Brown Show on Twitter. You can also hit us at Lonzo on Word, L-O-N-Z-O-O-N-W-O-R-D, at the Rob Brown Show, or at Lonzo on Word if you want to interact with us on social media live, in real time, and in living color, baby. Let's go ahead and jump right into this thing. Uh, they say that hindsight is twenty twenty. The ability to look back at something and more importantly, the ability to look back at something with a little time between you and that event can kind of clear up the way that you see things. You know, it's it's easy to have had some knee-jerk reactions, not just right after the L, but even the next day when it's still fresh. But now we have a couple of days in the rearview mirror to go back and look at that game to listen to the conference of Matt Rule with the media a couple of days later to break that down, to really kind of formulate some more well-thought-out opinions. So, you know, we did our lessons from week one the day after the game, but now, Lonzo, we've got a couple of days in the rearview mirror to look at. We've got a couple of days to cool off the heartbreak, cool off the hotheads, And look at this more analytically, look at it a little more rationally. And I'll start with what really stood out to me the most. And Matt Rule brought this up. It is a foundational problem 
Matt Rule said in his press conference, and you watched the whole press conference, and, and I want to see if maybe he elaborated more on this in a way that kind of resonated with you, Zoe. Matt Rule said that the Panthers had 17 missed tackles for roughly 190 yards of offense surrendered in yak, in yards after catch or yards after contact. I got to tell you, I heard that number and I was like, eh, I think maybe you're being, maybe you're being a little kind, right? Because the number honestly felt like closer to 22, 23 missed tackles for me. I'm almost wondering if Matt Rule maybe didn't count a couple of missed gang tackles in that number. But that number seemed really low. And I hate, I despise doing an NFL podcast and talking about missed tackles. But in retrospect, though, I don't know that there was a bigger problem for the Panthers in week one than the sheer number of missed tackles and the number of yards surrendered after missed tackles. Of all the things we're going to talk about that I want to see get better between now and this weekend on the road at New York, that is easily my number one concern. You know, I get that. I do. And as we talked about on the last pod, uh, they were going up against a really good running game. And these are guys that if you try to arm tackle, not going to happen. You're going to, a lot of times you're going to need two to three people to take these guys down because that's how good of runners they are. And I think, again, it comes down to a lot of how much of the defense played as a unit in practice and were able to all play together because there were guys being held out and get the, you know, game speed's not the same as, as practice speed. It's not the same as going up against guys in joint practices because there's so much to when you're out there playing a game. And I think that the first half was horrible. The second half, they got it together. And you also got to consider a good portion of this defense was there last year, and they were ranked high almost the entire year. Uh, but still, run defense was their biggest problem. In the second half, wasn't nearly – this is – and you hear this a lot. This is a tell of two halves of football on defense and offense for Carolina. And the second half, they played a whole lot better. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. But even with an improvement, a drastic, a noticeable improvement in play from half number one to half number two – this is the National Football League, right? Like, I, I hear every week there's a fan base that goes, oh, we're a second-half team. As the NFL, you can't be a second-half team. Second-half teams lose. That's what happens. Second-half teams lose when they play good teams. It's got to get corrected. And I don't care if every one of the 17 missed tackles, according to Matt Rule, again, I think there were more, but every one of the 17 missed tackles, even if every one of them was in the first half and they played a perfect second half, it's too little, it's too late. Now, I'm glad you said what you said about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because I, I saw this stat earlier and I thought it was interesting. In terms of yards per rush, Nick Chubb was pretty baseline for Nick Chubb. If Nick Chubb had his... Yards per rush average translated into 2021, it would have been his sixth or seventh best rushing game of the year, right? So it's pretty 
pretty average. It was a pretty average performance against an elite level running back. But I can't accept that as an excuse, right? Like that that is not something that I can just be okay with because especially in that situation, you knew coming in that if you stopped the run, that if you took away Kareem Hunt, if you took away Nick Chubb, you were going to end up putting the game into the hands of Jacoby Brissett. And if you're the Panthers, that's exactly what you wanted. I wanted Jacoby Brissett to have to go win that football game. And if it wasn't for, as we mentioned in the last episode, if it wasn't for a couple of what I genuinely, truly believe were inexcusably blown calls late in that game, Jacoby Brissett had to win the game and he would not have done it. They would have lost that football game. But when you allow a guy like Nick Chubb, a guy like Kareem Hunt to go get 6.6 yards per play, you create a situation where the quarterback across from you doesn't have to win the game. And considering you've got two coming up against New Orleans, you got two coming up against Atlanta. You got a Jameis Winston who finished the first half of the Saints game with negative two passing yards. You got Marcus Mariota who played a good game. I mean, really did play a good game against New Orleans, but the field was open because Mariota was able to scamper. I think he had 56 rushing yards, and a lot of those came in high-pressure throwing situations. I need to know that guys like Winston and Mariota and Daniel Jones this weekend, to be honest, are going to be forced to make plays because they cannot lean on the running back. The fact that Kareem and Chubb were able to do what they did this weekend does not comfort me, though, when you've got a healthy Saquon Barkley lined up and ready to go this Sunday afternoon. Yeah, but I'm going to go fan boy here as a, as a Carolina Panther fan boy and say, yeah, but they only have one running back as opposed to two running backs. Fair. Yeah, tr- yeah trouble with two running backs. This is just one guy. One guy coming off an injury. He looked pretty good in week number one. But a lot of the problems that Carolina had in the first half, they were able to fix in the second half. Matt Rule pointed out uh, many times in his 20-minute pe- press conference that they want fourth-quarter Carolina Panthers on every facet to play that way every quarter. If they get if if they play the way they did in the fourth quarter, the entire next game, they're gonna be good because despite all the deficiencies at tackling, despite all the problems with offense, the referees still cost them the game. I, I mean, you know, the referees cost them the game. They would have won that game. They absolutely would have won the game. So I, I mean, we can dwell on the negative, and you should point out the things that they need to improve. Absolutely. But one thing you can't fix is the referee. So you, you got to come out and you got to score enough that the refs can't take the game away from you. We can't get fined for talking about it. <laughs> the coaches can, so they can't say it. Hang on. So, I'm getting so. a, I'm getting a text. Um, Rod, Rod, Roger, Roger Goodall just texted me that we owe them $25,000. Is that right? Is that how – I yeah, uh, uh, Odyssey's got us. We're good. Yeah, true story. It's ra- big time radio money, baby. I uh, listen. I, I I and I'm glad you said that the first quarter, fourth quarter, because I think the conversation has been about the offense first versus fourth quarter, and and, and it should be. And I'm going to come to that in just a minute because there's a number about Baker Mayfield in the fourth quarter that I think should inspire 
some confidence in Panthers fans. But defensively, you still got to come up with stops, right? You still got to come up with stops. You still got to create a situation where you're not in a dogfight late in the fourth when they're not scoring points. Because we we the attitude that I have right now, and I'm hoping that as this team gels moving forward, this will change down the line. But the attitude that I have right now about this team is that the offense better go score 32 a game, better go score 35 a game, because the defense is going to give up 27. And that's not the end of the world in the National Football League. There have been a lot of very good teams that have mediocre defenses because they go light up 42 on the board more often than they don't. But Yeah, but, but Rob. Rob, come on, man. I mean, the stats were down as far as that goes because the offense played so poorly in the first half and the defense spent so much time on the field. We talked about time of possession in the last pod. When you're when you're out on the field that much, eventually you're going to be lacking. So if the offense picks it up, it's going to take pressure off the defense. I agree. I agree. You're you're exactly right. In fact, uh in re-watching the game film a third time. If you go back and you go towards the end of the second quarter, and this is a guy I actually want to talk about a little bit today, you go back and look at the end of the second quarter, There's there are multiple spots where Derek Brown, who is supposed to be an absolute stud for this defense, was absolutely gassed. I mean, was absolutely gassed. And I was already disappointed about the performance. Now, let's get the variables out of the way. It was not cool. It was humid. I've got buddies who were at the game who told me that it, it was not the most comfortable football watching, certainly not playing environment that they've ever had in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I get that. But DB and the rest of the gang can't be gassed. And you're right. I put some of that on the offense. When you are running a bunch of three and outs, when, uh, when, when, when they dominate, the first 30 minutes time of possession, like 22 minutes to eight, the defense is going to be gassed. They're going to be worn out. But on the flip side, if the defense gets three and outs, if the defense goes out there and, and, and stops long drives, is able to create punts and turnovers, they can get themselves off the field, right? Like it is not only the offense's fault that the defense was on the field and gassed by halftime, the defense can get themselves off the field too. That's kind of the point of the defense. So, which they did, they did in the, they did in the second half. They absolutely did, especially in the fourth quarter. I agree. I agree. Now I do want to talk individually about Derek Brown because I have seen this name pop up quite a bit on message boards and streams around the Panthers universe the last couple of weeks. Is it time to talk about Derek Brown? Is it time to, to, is it fair to label Derek Brown a letdown at this point? And I'm going to say, Lonzo, that it's early. I'm going to say that I personally am not ready to label him a letdown to say that I am disappointed in and ready to move on from this experiment of a high-level draft pick, but I'm getting very close. I'm getting, he was necessary. And the situation we found ourselves in is that the Panthers generated very little pass rush in this game. I mean, it was effectively Brian Burns and nobody else. 
And that's okay if you have removed the run game from the equation, right? If 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 they are averaging 3.1 yards per carry and you're not getting a a, a pass rush, I'm I I can live with that. I can tolerate that. I can work with that. But when they're averaging up over 6 yards a carry and getting a pass rush, that is a problem. And considering this guy is supposed to be a dominant aspect of the defensive line, that's where I start to have a problem, Lonzo. I, I'm not ready to declare him a bust, but I'm getting very close. Wow. Game one, already ready to, you and a bunch of other people, already ready to declare someone a bust after game one. The jitters went across the entire board for the entire team of the Carolina Panthers, as well as tension because of the whole Baker situation with Cleveland. This coming up week is going to be totally different. You watch. We'll be coming on this podcast Sunday talking about uh, Derek Brown dominating. Look, I, I mean, that would be amazing because if we talk about Derek Brown dominating, it probably means the Carolina Panthers won the game. And we'll talk more about him probably on Friday. All right, speaking of changes that were drastic between the beginning of the game and the end of the football game, found a very interesting stat on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield entered the fourth quarter in a 13-point hole. It was 20-7 to at that point. In the fourth quarter, Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers held a 24-23 to lead with one minute and 13 seconds remaining on the clock. And in that fourth quarter, the highest pressure quarter of all of the four of them that he's played as a Panther so far, Baker Mayfield exited the fourth quarter, Lonzo, just the fourth quarter, with a perfect 158.3 quarterback rating. Now, QBR is fun. It's a fun stat to keep track of. It gives you a little bit of a glimpse about where a guy's performance level is. It is not the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. It is not the make-all, break-all. It is not a stat that gets you to the Pro Bowl. But it is a stat you can read into. It is a stat that has some level of weight, some level of significance to it. And in a spot where the Panthers were up against the wall, Baker Mayfield went into and came out of that fourth quarter just about perfect. Played that position as well, according to the analytics, as anybody possibly could have. And I think there's something very big to be said about that when I'm flipping channels and I see Baker Mayfield's revenge game spoiled. Baker Mayfield fails to get revenge against the Browns. Baker Mayfield, blah, blah, blah. Relax. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. It was a half an off season for Baker Mayfield in Charlotte. It was a camp where he was splitting first team reps with other guys. It was a preseason where he played like a total of 18 snaps. It's going to take some time for him to get there. And I think, though, that that fourth quarter statistic is everything that you need to know to tell folks Take a deep breath, relax. Six is gonna be okay. Yeah, you know, Matt Rule uh, was asked this question in his 
press conference about if he had it to do all over again, would he still do the quarterback competition because of the quarterback competition, Baker Mayfield had to split reps the entire time. And he said, no, he said it was a legitimate competition. And because of it, that's the reason why he didn't get as many reps as he did. He also said that he was extremely happy with fourth quarter Baker and that people need to look at that a little bit closer. And, you know, and another stat, that and I don't know if we're going to get into the running game, but another stat that that uh, Coach Rule mentioned was how Christian McCaffrey's um, yardage was down because the one blemish that Baker had is when he fumbled the ball and Christian McCaffrey picked it up and ran uh, just like 32 yards or something like that. They counted that as a fumble recovery and not as uh, run yards. So. Was he perfect? No, but he progressively got better. And the best part about the fourth quarter is he had time. They figured out how to block Miles Garrett and Clowney and those guys for the most part. They gave him time to do so we could see what he could actually do when he had time. And he looked good when he had time. I don't disagree with you, uh, except for the first part, uh, which I guess is really disagreeing with Matt Rule, not Lonzo. Uh, if Matt Rule got the opportunity to go back and do it all over again, would he do it the same way? I would hope not. I really hope not. Baker Mayfield needed to be named the starter about a week before he did at the latest. At the latest. There was not a soul, and I'm including Lonzo and I in this. Not a soul. Not a one of y'all. And if you tell me that you believe this, I'm going to respectfully call you a liar. Because there was not a soul that thought for a second when it was announced that Baker Mayfield was a Cle- uh, was a, was leaving Cleveland and coming to Charlotte, not a one of y'all believed that Baker Mayfield was going to be anything but QB1. Now, I understand the premise of having a QB competition. I understand the premise of making it seem as if Baker Mayfield genuinely had to earn the position. I understand the premise. I get why you would want to do that so that Baker has to eat a little bit of humble pie before you plug him into the depth chart as QB1. But the problem was that in doing it that way, the problem was in that making him wait that extra week and a half. The problem was that in sending him out as QB1 in that position, you took away valuable reps with the first team. You took away the ability to develop chemistry with the center. We saw how that played out. You took away time for him to develop route running chemistry with his dump backs. We saw how that played out. You took away time, even though he showed some good chemistry with Robbie Anderson, with DJ Moore down the stretch. You took away more time to develop better chemistry with those guys. So I, I, I understand what he's saying, right? And very few coaches getting paid as much money as NFL coaches get paid are going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I would say I screwed up. Yeah, no, 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 no. I definitely would say that I screwed the pooch on this. NFL coaches aren't going to do that. But I got a dollar that says somewhere in the back of Matt Rule's monkey brain, somewhere back there, he knows. And you know, and I know, and we all know, that it cost Baker Mayfield some chemistry building time with his team. And 
And I think that came to, I think that came to bite the Carolina Panthers in that game in week one. I really do. All right. A couple, a couple things. Uh, Coach Rule addressed the, the, uh, miss the, the mess ups on the snaps. And he said that that never happened in practice. So that they were going to go back and work on it, that there was never a fumbled snap in practice. So, uh, it's got to be some jitters. Maybe it was sweaty hands, as we've talked about how hot it was down there. And also, you know, after the game, all I saw was same old Baker, same old <laughs> Baker. You know, you know, the problem with that is, you know, you know, a couple of the big names said it, and then all the people who want to be like them said it too. None of those guys actually watched the game. And what is same old Baker? What 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 was Baker from two years ago? Same old Baker took Cleveland to the playoffs. So if we're getting same old Baker, I'm okay with that. By the way, not just took him to the playoffs, took him to the playoffs shortly after they were a one in fifteen ball club, and have now once again that the franchise is a dumpster fire inside of a larger dumpster fire, and he was able to accomplish it. I got no issue. With same old Baker. Same old Baker is good enough. It's good enough. I'm not saying he's a he's an all pro guy. I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but he's good enough. And and, and right now, uh, I will take good enough at this point. The numbers speak for themselves. The numbers speak for themselves. Baker Mayfield down the stretch, when the game was at its most important, was at his best. And if you go back to that fourth quarter. And you take a couple of possessions off for Cleveland and you give Baker one or two extra possessions by forcing a three and out, by slowing up a drive, by preventing uh, the, the, the field goal that they were able to get down. If you were able to take care of all of those things, you win the football game. So this harkens, this goes full circle all the way back to where we started this conversation. If the defense holds up its end of the deal, Baker Mayfield wins you that football game. The offense wins you that football game, but they didn't. I'm not putting it all at the foot of the defense because had the offense upheld their end of the bargain in the first half of the game, they also win the game. And it's 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 a better look. Both sides had spots where they looked terrible. The difference to me, though, is that. Baker was at his absolute best when it was pearl clutching time deep in the fourth and the defense was still better, but not great. And that's a problem. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure the same old Baker people will say, well, if he scored a touchdown there, then that would have put pressure on Cleveland to have to go down and do the same. Okay. You're right. But he got them in position to kick the field goal with a new kicker, by the way, and uh, was in position to win the game. And then it goes back to the defense, and it really wasn't their fault because I don't care. It was still the referees that cost the Panthers the game. <laughs> so there you go. There's a there's a a couple of additional thoughts. You know, I just like I said, it, it I I need the defense to be better. I just do. I just do. And and if no other reason. Then early in the season to give the offense time to get up to speed, to give the offense time to hit. I, 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 I still want to believe, I still do believe, but I still want to believe 
that the Cleveland or that the, the the Carolina offense is going to hit a stride. They're going to develop that chemistry. It's going to take some time. Again, forget all of the, the the drama. The Carolina first team offense had about eleven total snaps. Actually, that's not true because you had Anderson and Bo- Bo- and and DJ Moore both missed some time in the preseason. Carolina had about eight snaps total where the entire first-team offense was on the field together. It might take them a little longer than we would like as fans. Hey, I, I don't want to correct you, but they never had it. Christian yeah, you might be right. Because Christian McCaffrey didn't play in the preseason. Oh, that's true. Fair that point. means they never had everybody on the field at once until they played Cleveland. Fair play. The Cleveland, the Cleveland Pan, uh, the Carolina offense before the Cleveland game, you are correct, Zoe, had zero snaps where the starting 11 was on the field together. None, not a one. It's going to take time for the offense to develop. And I think that they will. But if you don't want to find yourself in an 03, 04, 05 hole, the defense has, it is not a choice. The defense has to uphold their end of the deal because you can go and you can beat New York in New York if you can put up 24, as long as you slow Saquon down a little bit. But I am not convinced. Look, I don't know how good New Orleans is yet, right? They kind of had the same situation we did where they look like crap in the first half, a little bit better in the third, and then the offense completely came alive in the fourth quarter. I don't know. Just like the Saints don't know how good we are right now, we don't know how good the Saints are right now. But if the offense is going to be clicking by the time we get to New Orleans, that's great. If they're not, it is going to be up to the defense to carry the load. And I don't think any of us are going to volunteer to argue that they held their end of the deal towards the end of that Cleveland game. All right. I would say one more thing that uh, that you need to consider. All right, last year was the first year where there were one less preseason game. And it was sloppy at the beginning of the year for a lot of teams. It's the same case this year. You lose that preseason game, making this first game kind of a preseason game. At least the first half for a lot of teams, it was basically preseason because as we just talked about, a lot of teams across the NFL, the first time they had their full team on the field was in the first half of this first game. And if you look at what happened last year, from game one to game two, there was a big improvement across the board because guys actually started playing together again. Every coach you talk to will tell you the biggest improvement that every team at every level takes is between week one and week two. And we will find out if that is true for us as well. All right, a couple more things to discuss before we get up on out of here uh, for this edition of the Views from Men Street podcast. Scott Frost got fired from the University of Nebraska. And he got fired from the University of Nebraska. And this may shock some of you for one very good reason. And that one very good reason is that Scott Frost was, and this is scientifically accurate, bad at his job, all right? I don't take pleasure in anybody getting fired. I I have been fired. It sucks. It hurts your pride. Not that he's going to feel it, but it hurts your wallet. 
I have been fired. It sucks. I do not take Glee and 81 getting fired. But Scott Frost was notoriously bad during his time at Nebraska, right? Like I, I saw a tweet that said somebody somebody sent out a tweet that said before this is over, Nebraska's gonna be playing in the uh the the big sky conference. And the big sky conference quote tweeted it and we're like, nah, we good, right? Like that's how bad it was for Scott Frost Scott Frost at Nebraska. And of course. That means that it is time for the coaching carousel at the college level to spin up a little bit earlier than we're used to it. Well, the first few names to replace Scott Frost at Nebraska have dropped, and there are a few of them out there, a couple of coordinators, a couple of established coaches at the college level like Mark Stoops at Kentucky, and then... To the surprise of nobody, because I'm talking about it on a Carolina Panthers-based podcast, the name Matt Rule showed up as a potential coaching spot, uh, as a potential coaching candidate for the Nebraska Cornhuskers job. And, you know, so I I, I know that there are some people who think that Matt Rule is just going to jump at that job because the NFL has frankly not been kind to him. During his couple of years in Charlotte, it is proven not to be as easy of a rebuild, right? Everybody said Matt Rule's a three-year rebuild guy. It takes a three-year cycle. We're in year three, and granted, it's just one game. But one game in the books, and it doesn't look like the rebuild has happened yet. So Scott Frost gets fired, and immediately the name Matt Rule starts to get floated. Now, I don't know Matt personally. I've only had one conversation with Matt Rule, and it was very, very brief and in passing trying to set up an interview that never happened. What are you going to do? But he does not strike me as ready to jump back over, right? He does not strike me as a guy who's ready to jump back over. He doesn't strike me as a guy who's ready to give up on this NFL task. He strikes me as a guy who's going to see this thing through to the end one way or the other, good, bad, and ugly, and different with a Lombardi or with a pink slip. Carolina fans, relax. And by the way, when I say relax, I am talking about those of you that are pessimistic that your head coach is leaving and those of you that began setting up dance parties to celebrate when he does leave. Both sides of that need to relax. I... Do not think he is going anywhere, Lonzo. I think he is locked in for at least the end of this year. Now, if we get to the end of this year and Nebraska has not hired a full-time coach at that point, and if the Panthers are bad again at the end of this year and it looks like the seat is very hot under Matt Rule, then I could see him leaving. But right now today, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to pull the trigger on that. First of all, when you mention dance party, don't mention it around Matt Rule because there's a good shot that he's there and he's dancing from everything that we've heard. Uh, the other thing is Matt Rule said in his press conference that looking pretty much across the board, he thinks this is the best team he's had since he's been in Carolina. And he harped on many times about how good they looked in the fourth quarter. He's not ready to give this up when he's starting to see things take shape uh, in a way that he envisions it. Yeah, I know the Panthers lost because of the stinking referees. But 
that's not going to be a problem this week. No, why? I, I, and we've been surprised before. There have been guys who go, you know what? Uh, the offer was just too good, and I like the college game more. I'm going back to college. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy, though. And he's he's been given. Uh, I mean, maybe in some other places he would have been gone already. But Dave, uh, David Tepper seems like a very patient owner uh, when it comes to that. And I think they both have the same vision. I, I mean, you got to take into account he gets there when COVID's going on. So that's a new situation for everybody. And I think athletes and coaches on every sport got given another year or two because of that. So is this really his, what is it, his third year? Not not really. It's it's not because you can't really count the COVID year, COVID years. And so I don't think that he's going anywhere and um, if he did, I don't know if Nebraska is the place to go. I don't either. I mean, if Matt Rule's going to go back to college, there's going to be a bunch of teams who, who would be happy to have him back after what he's done at multiple stops along the way. Nebraska, to define the Nebraska Cornhuskers as a rebuilding project, would be like asking you to assemble the Great Pyramid of Giza and calling it a DIY, a, D, a DIY job, right? Like, no, no, it's not. It is a complete and total monumental overhaul. And there are going to be easier jobs for Matt Rule. And I'm not saying not a rebuild, but easier jobs than what Nebraska is right now. A team that lost to Georgia Southern. I believe it was Southern. I believe it was Southern. Georgia Southern this weekend. Uh, He's not going to Nebraska, right? Now, that's not to say that, again, if at the end of this year, the Panthers are 5-12 or 4-13 or, or heck, maybe even even 6-11, that there's not another squad that opens up somewhere that Matt Rule isn't intrigued by. But I absolutely think you are correct about Tepper and Fitzy. I think that they are two guys that are not only potentially, in this case, loyal to a fault, but I think loyal to a fault in the same way that Jerry Jones has been loyal to a fault to somebody. Like when J.J. brings you into Dallas, J.J. rides you until you die because you're his guy. And if you fail, then J.J. has to admit publicly that he failed, right? And he's not going to do that. He would, he would rather watch Dak Prescott fall apart like a defeated bad guy in a video game than acknowledge that maybe he's just not the guy. He would rather allow Tony Romo to waste away in Dallas than change the things that he kept doing over and over to the point that Tony was like, yo, bleep this, I'm going to the television box as opposed to coming back and dying on this football field. I think there might be a little bit of that with Teps, right? Because this is his guy. This was this was his hand-picked guy. It doesn't matter whether there is or is not. If Matt Rule gets to the end of this year and realizes, okay, I'm definitely on the hot seat next year, and I think anything 6 and 11 or lower definitely puts him on that hot seat. And by the way, 
looking at the schedule, I think six wins at this point is a very reasonable and reality-based outcome is six and eleven. I, I genuinely think six eleven is 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 might end up being a good year for Carolina. If the hot seat's on them, sure, there's going to be some college jobs coming available that I think he is going to be interested in, and I worry about it. Then, do I think that Matt Rule is going to jump on you in the middle of a season? No, no, I don't. He'll get to the end of the season, but then it becomes a question mark then it becomes something that I genuinely think we have to consider. I will say this, and this is more of a personal aspect on this story, and it's 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 something we talk about on the Rob Brown Show, and I wanted to bring it here uh, because I have the microphone and I want to. One of the aspects I think to this, and we've seen this happen in, in, in how many stories, right? It happened with the Doug Gottlieb fake story about Freddie Freeman's agent not giving him the final contract and everybody ran it as, as gospel. We're at a point where the media is very quick to impersonate each other, to, to, to mime each other, to repeat each other, to parrot each other. It is very possible that Matt Rule has negative interest in the Nebraska job. I got to tell you, I don't know how much the paycheck is for Nebraska, I don't know if I'm interested in the Nebraska job at this point, even with a $17.5 million buyout attack. Okay, that's dumb. I work in radio. Of course I'm interested, but you get the point, right? Uh, from what I can gather, this effectively started as like a message board thread where people were putting their ideas out there. One guy was like, hey, what about Matt Rule? He's getting his butt kicked at the NFL level, and he was a great college coach. What if we bring down Matt Rule? And then he had a bunch of media members start to parrot that and chirp that. I have not heard, though, any credible source with any credible information, any credible where, saying that Matt Rule has expressed any interest in this job or that Nebraska has expressed any interest in Matt Rule. I got no time for this rumor at this point. I don't know. I am curious. Do you consider a message board a, a source? I mean, it's technically there and you looked at it and that made it a source for you. And so you made it a story. Is Reddit, is that a source? I, I guess you read it somewhere and then you made it a story. Uh, Matt Rule being on this list is a little unusual because you get, when, when, when a vacancy comes out, you get the same, uh, amount of names, the same people who are up for jobs. And it is unusual him being on here. And it could be some disgruntled Panther fans who want him gone. <laughs> they don't they don't have an idea of who the replacement will be, yeah. but they want him gone. And so they put it on a message board and suddenly it's a story. Uh, Rob, is a message board, is, is it a source? Uh, I've worked in this business long enough to tell you that to the wrong guy with the wrong microphone at the wrong time, anything's a source. Uh, the source is, trust me, bro, I definitely read that on the internet, right? Like, any, to the right guy who does not care and is more inspired by getting clicks riding aboard the Hot Take Express, 
You can just say anything and attribute it to sources and it will take off like wildfire. I've seen it happen multiple times. Is there any credibility to this as of today? I've got no reason to believe that there is. Is there any credibility to this? As of literally 6.28 p.m. on Tuesday, September 13th, I've got zero reason to believe that there's any credibility to this rumor. I can see why Matt Rule would seem an interesting target. Successful college coach. Excellent at rebuilding. He's a great candidate for Nebraska. But I've got no reason to believe that that is an even close to realistic possibility. So there you go, kids. There's another outstanding rendition of views from Min Street in the can. Next episode is going to drop on Friday afternoon. Between now and then, send us your comments at the Rob Brown Show on Twitter, at Lonzo on Word on Twitter. If you have got any topics you would like us to talk about, any thoughts that you would like us to share with our national audience, send them to us on Twitter at the Rob Brown Show at Lonzo on Word, and we will include them in the next edition of the podcast, which we will record on Thursday night. It will drop to you on Friday. Lonzo, right? So any parting words for the people? Yeah, t- t- just take it easy, man. Take it. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Just keep pounding and, and take it easy. Every little thing is going to be all right. That's exactly right. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you back here Friday with our breakdown of Carolina at New York. Until then, for Lonzo Reitzel, my name is Rob Brown. Thank you very much for listening to the Views from Mint Street Podcast. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell that guy across the street wearing the McCaffrey jersey about it. We want everybody up in here. It's the Views from Mint Street Podcast. We'll see you Friday. Keep pounding, baby!